you're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask to have been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever. People don't want to hear it. There's no science behind it. Well, let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Masks are protective. And we have immunity there, theater. If you already have immunity, you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others. You're not wearing a mask because of any sign. I, I totally disagree with you. The point I'm saying is that there are variants in now circulating. The point that Senator Paul was making was that if you look at wild type only, there is some clear cut credence to what he's saying. But we are living right now in a situation where we're having a dominance of 117, which was the original UK. We have a very troublesome variant in New York City, a 526. We've got two variants in California, a 427, 429, and we have a number of others. So we're not dealing with a static situation of the same virus. Welcome to it. Episode 29 of the Point B Podcast. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate all of you returning listeners and people who've been liking, commenting, and sharing. We appreciate it so much. And uh, I just encourage you to keep keep finding us on, on whatever platform it is that you like and leaving us a review and, and keep sharing the new episode post. We're going to have some more content coming out. I'm having to invest in some, some more technology, uh, really lighting. <laughs> And, and it's funny, I'm trying to put these videos out for y'all, just diving deep into specific topics. I put a few out on our, our Instagram, at point B underscore cast. Check those out. Keep in mind, <laughs> I'm not used to being in front of a camera. Uh, and what I've done recently is found a much more um, eye-appealing area to take the video from. So that involves furniture and that involves some different lighting and a couple of other things involving uh, cleaning my kitchen because that's going to end up being the backdrops. So, <laughs> anyways, so keep an eye out for those. I will, of course, put posts on Instagram letting them know that new stuff is out. So keep following at point B underscore cast and let us know what you think about the show. Before we move on, I want to point you once again to blackriflecoffee.com, www.blackriflecoffee.com, and check out their amazing, fresh American pro gun brand. Uh, it's it's amazing to see the progress they've made just being exactly who they are. And, and I've followed these guys for a long time since before really Black Rifle was a huge thing uh, through a podcast that they put out, actually several podcasts that they put out as a group. And so I've, I've been kind of fanboying over, <laughs> over the company for a long time. And it's cool seeing them be exactly who they are in like their, you know, their ads and uh, sponsored posts they put, they put on Instagram and Facebook. They're all over the place. And uh, seeing them being exactly who they are, doing what it is they love to do and being successful at it, it's motivational, it's inspirational, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's the American dream. And as I've said before, it's not only that they're doing this and they're making a crap ton of money and living their lives and uh, going on jet skis and stuff like that. No, they're, they're doing great things with their profits in, involving supporting uh, 
law enforcement, first responder groups, and of course, veterans groups, including one very close to home, uh, Warrior's Heart out in Bandera, Texas. And so it's beautiful to see that. It's beautiful to see what happens when Americans take it upon themselves to be the change that they want to see in the world. And that is what they're doing, which is amazing. So check them out. Check out their subscription options. I am a part of the subscription. was actually thinking this morning, I'm almost through my bag of Freedom Roast, and which is a pretty decent blend. Uh, not my absolute favorite. And what I'm probably going to end up having to do, because I'm like halfway into this month. So I got another roughly two weeks to go before my next order ships. And I'm like... I'm scratching the bottom of this bag, so I'm probably going to have to double up on my monthly orders now. But uh, anyways, after you've checked out Black Rifle Coffee, uh, humbly I would request you to check out at Cross and Musket on Instagram and check out my wife and I's t-shirts that we sell. Those t-shirts, the money from that, 10% is going to get donated to a local charity that we'll talk about. And then uh, everything else besides that helps the podcast grow. We've got some equipment we need to buy, some that I've already bought. Uh, just all of this is from from just my personal extra couple of dollars. But uh, yeah, we need some new equipment. I want a better microphone. I want all this beautiful stuff that is not cheap. <laughs> and uh, beyond that, marketing dollars, just trying to get the word out involves money. So we can use every penny uh, that we can get our hands on there. So check us out at Cross and Musket. If you do buy a t-shirt, use discount code INSTA for 20% off at checkout. Okay, so now let's get into it because I got a lot to cover before something that's going to take a lot of time at the end. So I might speed race through these. Bear with me. Uh, recapping that opening audio, we saw Dr. Fauci and Rand Paul going back and forth, getting a little, little heated, a little testy there. And what I took away from that exchange was that these are two men. These are both very educated doctors um, with medical training and obviously different fields. Dr. Fauci being uh, what? Infectious disease expert or immuno immunologist or something. Rand Paul being something completely different, I believe. I'm not actually up to date on their PhDs. My bad. Um, but can both of these men be right? Yes, I think both of them can technically be right. I think Dr. Fauci cares about getting this right. He's He's been doing this for a long time across multiple administrations. He seemingly has gotten along with people this whole time. Uh, really until Donald Trump. Um, but that being said, I also know that he is extremely fond of the cameras and he's extremely fond of the spotlight and uh, the attention. Holy crap, why is my microphone all jacked up? There we go. He likes the attention. Um, I think he's he's made a shift in his life from being employed <laughs> So now he feels like a royal. He feels like one of the elite. He's at the top. He's he's rubbing elbows with the people who make the decisions. He's the go-to guy. And and really what it's boiled down to, the, the, the impression I've gotten from how he talks, how he addresses the American people, and how he makes his case for what he believes. You know, he, he doesn't really feel the need many times to actually uh, really lower himself as far as his expertise and just speaking to the common man. I don't see that happening. And he's not obviously not the only one guilty of that, but just specifically Fauci, I feel like he doesn't 
take the time to explain these things to the people who disagree with him. He simply writes them off as crazy. To be fair, many on the right, I'm guilty of it. Rand Paul here uh, is somewhat guilty of it, where he's he's saying that it's all for show. I happen to agree more with, with Rand Paul in this situation, um, because really the bottom line is Dr. Fauci is not the only infectious disease expert out there, and there's many experts that agree with him, and there's many that disagree. And the truth, as we've said many times before, balance it's somewhere in the middle and we're all just trying to do this balancing act of you know which side do we lean towards or which side should we stray away from so the hurdle here if if you didn't listen to the audio rewind i'm not going to play it again um The hurdle here really being these variants. So like the, the, the common flu every year, it's not the flu. It's these different uh, mutations and adaptations and variants of the same virus. And so what Fauci is saying is like, yes, we've got the main type this vaccine covers, but then there's also these disturbing variances that we're seeing coming out of the UK and out of South Africa that haven't really um, taken root here in the States yet. I get that. I really do. I, I really see that as, you know, let's, let's not be so confident about this brand new vaccine that skipped so many hurdles through emergency use authorizations to, you know, it's not FDA approved. That's what something that not a lot of people know. Uh, these vaccines are not FDA approved. And there have been these uh, issues over in Europe, I think, or in England with the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine, which is not approved for use here in the U.S. yet. Uh, but that they're 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 trying to to they're in the process right now of approving it. And then what I saw recently is Biden's actually going to be sending uh, millions of doses down to Mexico. And, and, and well, side point, I don't think that they've come out and said, "Hey, help us with this border crisis, and we'll send you the vaccine." But I'm seeing the discussions of the border crisis involving this issue of Joe Biden sending this AstraZeneca vaccine down to Mexico. I'm sure there's not going to be a quid pro quo there, but we've all seen exactly how Joe likes to handle quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. Um, but back to the variants. Um, I, I, I get not wanting to just bull in a China shop, just launch forward in, 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 pretend that the virus is gone now that we have this vaccine because that's not the case but neither every year you get a flu shot or you're told by your relatives to hey did you get your flu shot yet like no i hate shots leave me alone but <laughs> we, every year people are getting their flu shot and we've grown accustomed to that we're okay with that now and so is covid19 going to become the flu are we going to be vaccinated again and again and again for the same virus i don't know but right now we're we're on this this seesaw or this teeter-totter of getting back to normal but also trying to be safe as far as covid goes we now we know who's most vulnerable who is basically immune who who can contract the virus and be virtually asymptomatic and just go about living their lives. We know these things now, and it's it's like there should be this movement towards getting back to normal, but these variants of doom are causing us or causing the, the many of the decision makers to act as if, you know, there's this COVID-19 
version 2.0 lurking around the corner wanting to rip your mask off and sneeze in your mouth. And there's just there's one side that sees victory against COVID as nobody ever dying from it ever again. And if that's the case, well, then we've been losing the battle against the common flu for years that kills thousands of lives a year. I think maybe even upwards of 10,000. Obviously not this year. So hmm, what do we know? Quarantine works. Obviously, you know, if you aren't going out in public, you're probably not going to get sick, right? If you're wearing a mask, washing your hands regularly. Like there's some certain practices that uh, I think we should carry over <laughs> into the post-COVID existence. Uh, Uber Eats being one of them and um, leaving the Amazon package at my door without me having to see anybody. I'm, I'm really in favor of that one. <laughs> side side note, today I had an Amazon package get delivered. And of course I looked at the peephole, make sure he's gone. And then I opened the door to get my package and I looked to the left and my neighbor also has just opened their door to get their Amazon package. And it's like, both of us were like, oh crap. <laughs> we both just shut the doors and it was super awkward and it made me feel like shit because I've been preaching about trying to smile to people and like, hey, let's, you know, be, be kind to one another and all this this crap that I say. And then I go and I'm like, oh crap, I don't want to talk to a person or see a person. And uh, I felt bad about it. But at the same time, no. Um, but so we have this one side that seized victory against COVID as nobody ever dying from it. But then the flip side that the other side, the other argument, the Rand Paul side is victory by not allowing it to control our lives. We saw this after 9-11, you know, you don't want the terrorists to win. So we need to be able to just live our lives and move on from this crisis and say, it's not going to happen to us again. But at the same time, we still have to live our lives. Do masks work? Sure. I'm sure they do. But with very little, little evidence to speak of saying that states with strict lockdowns are better off than those without, I mean, really, all the evidence points to the opposite argument. Just look at California and Florida. There really is no way to say that masks are our way out. I don't see many people trying to make that claim. What I see a lot of people trying to, to say is that the vaccine is going to be the way out. But now that brings us to this argument that we saw between Rand Paul and Fauci. Saying that a vaccine is the way out, that we're saved by this miracle cure, even though we were promised in November that the, no miracle was on the way, Hashtag Biden sucks. And so saying a vaccine is the way out and then saying that once you have the vaccine, basically nothing has changed, still quarantined, still maintains six feet of distance. Uh, well, now I guess what, three feet of distance? Thanks, CDC. So how do these things encourage people to get the vaccine? They don't. And that's the point that Rand Paul was making is if my life's not going to change, if I'm not going to be able to go hug my grandma, because now grandma is hearing on the news that, oh, there's these variants that are going to sneak out from behind the couch and kill her. Now, what was the point of getting the vaccine to begin with? What would be the point? You're immune, but, you know, go ahead and keep pretending you're not. We'll check back in with you on July 4th. Uh, that's another joke of a statement from Joe Biden that, you know, if we do all these things, if we wear, just wear your masks. If we do these things we're supposed to do, that maybe we can see our families on 4th of July. I mean, I saw, I felt, I did, and then I witnessed online a collective middle finger in the air to that statement, which which I love. That made me feel super warm and, and, and tickly on the inside. 
Something else that makes me feel particularly warm and tickly is Candace Owens is taking on Cardi B on Twitter and she's blowing up social media with these back and forth with Cardi, Cardi B. Because bottom line is Candace Owens, as a p- powerful, strong black woman, sees what Cardi B does and stands for as regression, as a step backwards. People see women on stages with the least amount of clothing possible as empowering. But something that Candace Owens has pointed out many times is objectifying yourself is still objectifying women. And so when it comes to Candace Owens, now obviously she is a massive personality in today's culture. Uh, people love her or people hate her, really, is the way what, what it boils down to. Um, so me over here with my little podcast in my tiny little apartment, I can't really say like, oh, Candace, you're wrong. But personally, I don't think I would handle the things she does but because I'm, I'm conflict averse. I don't like conflict. Candace seems to be much more comfortable <laughs> with conflict and she shines in those situations. Um, so not how I would handle things, but I'm also not going up against someone who's basically the star of black America right now. Um, Cardi B seems to be just stepping easily into shoes like Beyonce and Rihanna, as far as like name recognition and presence in pop culture, just everybody knows who Cardi B is. And that says something. So going against a name like that as just a conservative, basically podcast talk show host uh, a thinker who you know she goes on stages and in front of live audiences and debates and things so going from that environment to taking on someone like cardi b that's tough so maybe this is the best way to handle it you know earlier i played that hillary clinton audio not earlier many episodes ago i played the hillary clinton audio where she says that republicans seem to only understand strength and that democrats should take that as a lesson learned and be strong in return so maybe this is kind of the same. You know, there's elite people within the music industry who probably only give respect when it's earned and not just earned, but maybe demanded from the other side. Candace Owens is definitely earning and demanding that respect. So if you don't know exactly what happened, um, Candace Owens has been tweeting at Cardi B for a while now. But then, of course, after the Grammys performance with Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion, uh, where they're essentially grinding and dry humping on each other with very little clothing although i heard that it, it the clothing that the air quotes clothing that they were wearing added like 15 or 18 pounds to their weight because there's metal and stuff um anyways so it was extremely vulgar extremely um i mean really there should have been blurs all over the stage there was stripper pole they were gyrating and rubbing up against each other in very sexualized ways, which if you want to do that, go for it. But when you're bleeping somebody out for saying the F word moments before you're watching two girls essentially well, do things to each other that should be private to the bedroom in most people's minds, um, there's a little bit of hypocrisy there. Now, the good news for the survival of America is that the, the, the ratings for the Grammys this year completely tanked. So there's hope. But as far as this goes, I say go Candace. You know, um, don't just roll over and take this because w- what also came out of this situation is that Cardi B, looking for a way to take down Candace, shared a tweet that came from some blog 
that because it's on the internet, Cardi B assumed it, it was real. And it was obviously a photoshopped tweet to make it seem as if Candace Owens had admitted to her husband cheating on her with her brother. And uh, Cardi B comes out and says, no, no, uh, you were trending on Twitter when this happened. I saw it. This is a legit tweet, which is essentially using fabricated evidence to slander somebody. So Candace Owens says, oh, honey, baby, sweetie, that is obviously a photoshopped tweet. Are you now saying that this tweet is legit and yet you are essentially bearing witness to the authenticity of this tweet? And Cardi B doubled down and said, it's out there. I saw it on a blog. It's real. Candace Owens says, okay, no big deal. Uh, I'm suing you. And that's where we're at. So <laughs> go Candace. I, I like the the side of her that's don't roll over, don't play dead for these elitists. I mean, let's let's be real. That's what Cardi B is. She's an elitist. She is somebody who came from virtually nothing and now is something, and she's forgotten the other people out there who want to become something, and now she's just sitting up there on her pedestal, sitting up there on her throne, and she wants to live her life the way she wants to live her life. But then the rest of us have to fear for our jobs, fear for our careers, fear being canceled for comparing. Uh, persecution of conservatives to down the road, obviously becoming something as if resembling Nazi Germany. And we've seen people canceled over tweets like that, yet she can go up and get laid on stage in front of the public and we're supposed to just accept it and be okay with it. So I don't want Candace to stop. Obviously not how I would react to things, but I'm not making changes and I'm not making pushes within culture. Uh, to to get conservative thought at least just out there. And so I don't want her to just take this from these people who think that freedom is getting on a stage and getting dry humped through three inches of leather, glitter, and probably plenty of silicone from the looks of things. So go Candace. Moving on. Um, mainstream news networks have been completely silent on the Portland riots that are still going on to this day. That started over the summer 2020. And now this is a an Instagram post from uh, from Buck Sexton, con- Republican conservative thinker. Um, he would fill in for Rush Limbaugh many times. Who actually I saw today they announced that I was I would have bet money Buck Sexton was going to take over for the deceased great one Rush Limbaugh. Um, but actually they're tagging in. Dan Bongino from the Dan Bongino show to fill in his his slot on public radio, which well-deserved. Dan Bongino, a former Secret Service agent, he served during the Clinton years, and now he's come out with his, um, with his show, and not recently, I mean, he's been doing it for a while, and he's doing great at it. He's, he's one of these people who I don't see as a natural fit for being on camera, and yet he does it superbly. And one, another one of these people who just is who he is and people like him for it. And I love that. Very inspiring. So he's filling in for Rush now. Um, but anyways, Buck Sexton is another one of those conservative thinkers, talk show hosts all over social media. And uh, he sent out a, an Instagram post with a tweet from Tom Elliott saying, "If imagine if a version of the Capitol riot were happening every night for eight months straight, but was somehow not being reported in the major media. That's basically what's been happening in Portland, end quote. And it's true. It's so true. We saw attacks on courthouses, on police precincts, 
federal buildings. We saw a church burned. And yet when Donald Trump made the ballsy move to push protests back away from the Capitol so he could walk, I think, down or across Pennsylvania Avenue to that church and pose with the Bible. Everybody says, photo op, photo op. He should be, you know, he's a criminal for doing this. And yet they had no problem with the fact that the church was burned the prior night. And here is a president saying, we are not afraid of the people who would tear down our buildings, who would light fire to our buildings. I'm going to walk across and I'm going to take a picture in front of it. Screw you. I loved it. And I saw that and I thought that is something we should be able to unite behind because that is the strength of American resolve in the face of riots and really, um, not sedition, but anarchy is what we've been seeing from Antifa and from the more militant arms of Black Lives Matter. Um, anyways, so I'm struggling for a point here other than just the media is at best omitting this from the news cycle at worst, which is really what I, I believe we're at right now. We're at worst case scenario when it comes to media. They're completely silent on some of the biggest issues that should we should be focusing on. And, and the why, you know, you can assign motive all over the place, but it's I think it's pretty apparent when the media is all over the White House until January 20th, and then bam, Biden's in office, and hey, Biden, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And zero word about the fact that Biden has been completely absent from the public eye, save for some very awkward exchanges, calling uh, Texas and Mississippi Neanderthals, Neanderthal thinking, and um, getting caught using a green screen, his hand going through microphones, that's fun. Speaking of hypocrisy, this Cuomo story, this Governor Cuomo story, there's so many people, even uh, Adam Schiff and uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez now saying that he needs to resign uh, over these sexual, uh, these allegations of sexual misconduct. To me, though, the story is not these allegations of sexual misconduct. It's the nursing home scandal. And I've said it before on the show, and I'll keep saying it. It feels like this is a, a massive cover-up. Um, but but it's it, there's hope in the fact that there's people within pop culture and within the comedy uh, section of the media who are calling him out on this and not not letting him get away with the nursing home scandal, which if you're not completely aware, what he did there um, essentially lied to the Trump justice, uh, to the Department of Justice and to the Trump administration saying uh, they underreported their the deaths caused uh, or the deaths in their nursing home. So ugh, long story short, the, at the start of COVID, when people on the conservative right were already saying, look, obviously people with lung issues and people who have compromised immune systems are at risk of this COVID virus. And we were saying all that from the beginning. And yet Cuomo did not want these residents from nursing homes with COVID to be in the hospitals, which then, then they would be, would be reported as hospital deaths. So he was bringing them back into nursing homes and then signed these mandates that were saying, you cannot test these people 
for the COVID virus upon re-entry into the nursing home. And if you know anything about nursing homes, in many cases, they are breeding grounds for disease, specifically sexually transmitted diseases. I've heard over and over how you know, syphilis and gonorrhea are just rampant in many nursing homes because they're old people and they're bored. And many times they're not in their own rooms. They're in shared rooms with people and stuff happens. And with that in mind now, imagine, okay, these people are, are spreading syphilis around and, and it's with those same people would send a very contagious virus in there. So you've got nursing home deaths that are just crazy, crazy, crazy. Michigan, New York, there's other states that have had the same issues. But what, what Cuomo did is he kind of doubled down on the issue and, and hid this information from the government and from the people. And at the same time, <laughs> well, we'll get in that in a second, um, his book, it's hilarious. But John Oliver, in his late night show, had a couple of words um, for Cuomo. Uh, quoting John Oliver, even before the current scandals, there was something gross about Cuomo's glee and his public adulation last year. Uh, Oliver said, citing the governor's regular appearances on the CNN show hosted by brother Chris Cuomo, uh, his embrace of the term Cuomo-sexuals to describe his most hardcore fans, and his self-congratulatory memoir published with the pandemic still raging, uh, still quoting John Oliver, the lessons Cuomo laid out in the book were presumably, number one, do press conferences, number two, the end, <laughs> which is very true. Cuomo has been just self, well, self-pleasuring himself to his performance with COVID, which has been a travesty, complete and utter travesty. You've got f very high, dense population areas like Florida where there's just people come to Florida from all over the country every year because of the weather and everything, especially Northerners, they like to flock down to Florida. So you got a lot of things stacked up against you in Florida, and yet no mask mandates, no lockdowns. They're living free in Florida, and they're doing fine. Quoting John Oliver again, the thing is, it's hard to follow the facts if the people in charge of those facts are actively withholding them from you. As far as advice goes, it's basically as useful as a bully saying, stop hitting yourself. In both cases, yeah, I'd actually really like to. The thing is, some asshole won't let me. I love that. Still quoting, Andrew Cuomo is a colossal asshole. It's from an excellent writer named TJ Pimpernickel. I can tell you two things about TJ Pimpernickel. One, he is a person I totally made up. And two, he's also completely right about Andrew Cuomo. I love that. Don't obviously agree with John Oliver on everything that comes out of his mouth, but props to him for at least not jumping on the bandwagon of, okay, let's, let's attack Cuomo over these sexual misconduct allegations. Let's focus on the real story here that people died uh, and he actively covered it up. Really quickly, just because I, f I feel obligated to, uh, got to talk to you about the uh, the royal family and their issues. <laughs> uh, Meghan Merkel, Prince Henry talking to uh, Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, if you thought that I was actually going to talk about that, you you haven't listened to this this podcast very much. I'm so done with all this royal crap. Um, but my notes here is I'm kind of scanning through them. I'm realizing, oh crap, I might have had a couple drinks before I made these notes. Uh, really, the only thought I have regarding Meghan Merkel and Prince Henry 
uh, in their claims that, uh, oh, really, my, the only thought I have is regarding Megan's claim that she might run for U.S. president. Uh, because what, what this makes me think is how much money must you be looking to make as president if you're leaving the royal life in England? Something we've said for a long time is how you know these people go into Washington, D.C., and they're supposedly public servants, yet they come out millions of dollars richer. How does this happen? They're following the Obama plan, apparently. <laughs> Get into politics, piss off half the country, set up a book deal with Simon & Schuster, and then make mediocre television that nobody will watch, but Netflix will raise money <laughs> to, to purchase from you by making child porn to afford the rights to your biopic. It's, it's incredible. It, it's really amazing the, the template that they've laid out for these people. But other than that, other than the fact that she's saying she might run for president, and I'm just imagining she's got to... I mean, people like that are obviously money-hungry um, while they're talking about oppression. But other than that, the royal family can fuck off. As much as we get along with them now, and you know, our militaries have great respect for each other, I, I think that there's a healthy level of F off that needs to be present because while we did kick the ass in the war, because we did kick their ass in the war and until they can beat us at something significant, I think that they're still a bitch and uh, they need to act accordingly. So moving on, there is this story that has come out of Merriam Webster and uh, dictionary.com and they've added some new words for 2021 that I think you should all be made aware of. Um, in the words from online communication section, we've got the new words reaction GIF, which is a GIF of someone or something such as a celebrity or an animal that is sent out, sent or posted in reply to something. And that typically depicts and expresses a reaction. It's yeah. Okay. Sure. Reaction GIF. I, do we really need to add that to the dictionary? Is that something that's going to extend far into into American life? I don't know. Uh, digital blackface, I'm sure you can understand what that one is. Hard pass, a firm refusal or rejection of something such as an offer. Oh, performative, disapproving. Flex, an act of bragging or showing off. Cancel culture the practice or tendency of engaging in mass canceling as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting social pressure. Uh, and then they link to the definition of cancel, canceling, to decide not to conduct or perform something planned or expected, usually without expectations of conducting or performing it at a later time. Nerd talk for if we don't like what you're saying, shut up. So then I thought, if these weird words are getting put into the dictionary. What are some words that have been used for generations and should also be included in the dictionary? So naturally I Googled redneck vocabulary and I came across hilarity. Uh, I have not read anything past these first two, so I'm not sure exactly what we're in, uh, what, what is in store for us, but I imagine it's going to be funny. Word number one, far. F-A-R. If you don't turn that stove down, them chickens will catch far. <laughs> Bard. B-A-R-D. Cousin Jesse barred money from me and I ain't seen them since. <laughs> ranch. Like ranch dressing. Go in the back of my truck and get that ranch. I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I guess that one just means they've got ranch dressing in the back of their truck. Months. 
M-U-N-T-S. It's been four months since I heard from my brother. All, A-L-L. I'm going to need me... I'm going to need me a all change on that truck. Oh, I see. I see. All oil. A-H-Z, Oz. I can't see nothing out these Oz. Oh, eyes. Yeah, this one's getting a little weird. Hep. H-E-P. Hep. That's a far. Oh. Hep. H-E-P. Hep. There's a far. Help. There's a fire. Okay. Yeah. Y'all are getting a little too creative with these. Anyways, I figured if, while we're uh, being inclusive, why don't we be inclusive, right? And speaking of moderating language, here's a video. This one is, um, I don't remember where I got this from, NPR or BBC News. Sorry. Um, talking about these, what they display as pastors, religious leaders, um, and really they present them as crazy religious people saying for many different reasons from it'll make you gay to it's the mark of the beast that you should not take the vaccine, uh, the COVID vaccine. So I want to play a couple of clips of this video for you. And then uh, I got some concerns, to say the least. Get your chip when you get your COVID vaccination. They want to alter us. They're sharing false rumors and lies about COVID-19 vaccines. This is a final enslavement. And they have influence because they're religious leaders. I look at anti-vaccine content all day, every day. My name is Kalina Koltai. And this person, Kalina Koltai, is vaccine misinformation researcher from University of Washington, in case you're wondering. So these figureheads who have a large platform, ties, are often respected. And they also have the cultural competency to understand what is important, what are the values, what is necessary to make that information powerful and resonate. It's a minority spreading these false messages. Most leaders in every faith are trying to do the opposite. The vaccine is a gift of hope. But when religious leaders spread wrong information about vaccines, it can be powerful. In India... So... I, and, and this is what, like what I was talking about with inherent bias. I have this bias of when I see on TV or see people portraying religious people as crazy or nutty, I get immediately defensive. And that's just me acknowledging that being open and transparent with you. It's wrong. I should not get defensive when I see somebody saying that, uh, you know, some Jewish scholar saying that the COVID vaccine is going to make you gay. Um, I should see that and agree. Yes, that's crazy, which I do. I do agree that that is crazy. But something that has come out of this video of feeling is the the term moderation and the term um, censorship. Now, I'm going to skip to a little bit later chunk in the video where they, they bring up social media's responsibility to moderate and to um, censor speech, something like this. In Israel, a rabbi claims the vaccine will make you gay, which is nonsensical. 
And in the US, some evangelical Christians are debating whether vaccines are the mark of the beast, a sign of the devil, and the end of times. I think it's difficult for social media companies to uh, figure out where is the appropriate moderation limit when it comes to religious content. Even when negative messages... And, and that's really, that's the, the crux of my, um, my beef here, is that we're seeing this, this, this select few, and, and they admitted in the video that there is a, is a very small minority of these religious leaders and scholars saying things like this when the vast majority of religious leaders are saying the vaccine is a miracle, it's a godsend, it's going to get us back to normal, you should take the vaccine. So if you're acknowledging that a very small minority is the, is the problem, why aren't you focusing more on beefing up the voices that you agree with through your personal channels and networks, much like I'm doing here? Instead, they want to tear down, moderate, and censor the minority voices. And this is a dangerous ground to start treading because while you might naturally think, well, yeah, if they're saying something that poses a health threat, telling people not to get the vaccine and we can't move on from the, from the virus until everybody is vaccinated... I understand that, and I, and in a way, I agree. But part of the problem with, with our justice system and with how we enact policy and how we enforce policy, is that we base things on precedent, not right and wrong, and not what the Constitution says or the Bill of Rights says. We base it on well, what decisions have been made before, and that's a problem because what that leads to is what we've seen in the progressive movement, progressivism. It's just, it's a baby step at a time. One justification leads to another justification. One compromise on, the, on, the, on our personal freedoms and rights leads to another compromise. And everybody's just trying to get along, and for the sake of unity, everybody's compromising. But down the road of that compromising, you get real serious infringements on personal liberty. So yes, these people sound crazy. Yes, they are saying crazy things. But bottom line, that's their right. There's people from every, walks, from every walk of life out there that say crazy things. So long as they're the, the small minority, you know, it's really up to us to just have better ideas, right? We've said before that facts and truth aren't threats to good ideas. And yet these people act threatened when crazy people say crazy things. They act as if it's going to tear their arguments down. And in some cases... When it's conservatism versus you know progressivism, I I would think that yes, conservatism is a better idea. And in that instance, the progressives say, well, we got to censor conservative thought because it's a threat. Now here, I agree with them that this language, this this talking about the vaccine as being the mark of the beast or, or conspiracy theories about it making you gay and all this stuff, it is harmful. But we have the First Amendment for a reason. And what worries me is just this cavalier way that this expert that the BBC is using in this video, how she talks about moderation by social media companies. Because let's be real, moderation is censorship. So what level of censorship are we comfortable with? This used to be a local issue, but now we're dealing with the internet. We're dealing with social media platforms that are international. So now this is a global issue, and, and that makes me think that it's, it, you know, it's really tough 
to imagine this working out in favor of more freedom. And people have, and to people take issue with the concept of freedom. But really what personal freedom means is personal responsibility. That we're each responsible for our own actions. And, you know, you're not at fault for when I say something crazy and I'm not at fault for when you say something crazy because crazy is one of those terms that nobody can really substantiate. You can't assign a dollar a numerical value to crazy just like you can't uh, consistently establish a dollar value to what is rich. Everybody's got opinions and ideas about those definitions because they're subjective terms. They're opinionated terms. So, bringing that back to the argument of COVID, we've seen many times how language regarding the COVID vaccine or regarding the virus and how to handle the virus, that 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 language poses a threat to some people who then use that as justification to silence voices on social media, to put disclaimers on things that I might say, you know, putting a little banner at the bottom. This is disputed information with links to what the CDC says, as if the CDC is some sort of godlike figure bestowing its knowledge down to us. If that's the case, I would cease to believe in God because the CDC has and the WHO have both disagreed with themselves multiple times, almost as many times as Dr. Fauci has agreed with himself, or disagreed with himself, sorry. So, all that to say, can we be a little rational? Just a tiny bit. There's there's all this panic porn that's out there that everybody's just freaking out about, and it's like, oh my god, this, this religious leader in fucking India is saying this to his people, Let's establish a committee now with some global organization to silence this dude. And it's just, it's counterproductive because when people feel that they can be heard, you know, have you ever had an idea and then you say the idea out loud to somebody else and in your head, you're like, this is such a freaking awesome idea. And then once you start saying it out loud, you hear your own words. You're like, wow, that was a really dumb idea. I do that all the time. Maybe it's just me, but just being heard at times takes something out of your brain that something off of that checklist of what you need to where you can look past your own need to be heard and actually hear what it is you're saying and you realize wow that's ridiculous and we're and if people could just feel like they can be heard without being silenced on social media and in google and in these search algorithms I feel like they'd be much more receptive to what the other side has to say. But what we're we're not seeing that. We're not seeing openness and transparency. We're seeing, hey, you need to agree with us, but if you don't, we're going to silence you. We're going to uh, shadow ban you on social media. We don't want anybody to see what it is you're saying. And if they do see it, we're going to slap a disclaimer on it that basically says, this person's crazy, keep scrolling. And that doesn't make me feel very heard. And while I'm a sane, rational human being who's, who's content just at least saying my piece and being on the record, there are others out there that have staked their livelihoods on their own voice and their, their ability to reconcile that voice and those opinions with what other people are feeling and create a movement. So when they have put forth their effort, have taken upon all the risk on themselves and their livelihoods depend on ad revenue from a company that was supposedly going to be unbiased like Facebook, Twitter, 
uh, YouTube. And then they're told, no, we're not going to be unbiased because you're just too crazy for us not to do something. So we're going to shut you down. We're going to ban your Twitter account. Uh, We're going to take down this post that, you know, if if you're creating content and putting it on YouTube to hopefully get one viewers, two more viewers and three ad revenue, you're banking on what the content that you produced being put on this platform is going to do what that platform has said it should do for you. And then they find out, oh, this one's been demonetized or my account's been taken down. And uh, it destroys lives. And it it makes it harder for us to come together because in every microcosm of our lives, we're being pitted against each other. And it's creating strife in many avenues of our lives. Okay, and to wrap this one up, there is a there's a video from NPR that I found that I started watching because I kind of had a feeling where the what direction it was going to go in and it it went exactly where I thought it would, which is not always the case. Uh, as you've probably heard many times on this show. But this is a show put out that is essentially talking about how in the past, violent rap lyrics have been used to literally um, incriminate and imprison people and in, to, uh, to used as evidence to substantiate a claim that somebody was killed or there was violence occurred because of the violent lyrics within a rap song. We've all seen that. It's, it's in the past. It's, it's happened. Now, what this video is claiming is that, number one, it was racist. And then number two, that it's still happening and it is still about race. And so um, so I want to play a few clips from that. And I want to essentially make the claim that what they, are, what they are bringing to light from the past being this fringe, underground type of... Um, I mean, it's art, it's music, but using the lyrics in a, in a semi-rebellious way and saying what they're saying because there are those within politics or within media or within culture that are saying, hey, you should not, and really you cannot do that. So it just kind of like fuels that fire to, to say things that disagree with the status quo. And I think, th- so the claim that I'm, I'm making is that what was hip-hop is now very much more conservative thought. And as we've talked about on the show many times, the cancellations, people's careers ruined, people getting kicked off of TV shows, um, musicians having their their music pulled from iTunes and from Spotify, losing uh, music contracts and things like that. We're seeing careers and lives destroyed because of conservative thought, not because they picked up a gun and shot somebody or they, they said, I'm going to shoot this person or I did shoot this person. They are saying that this is what I believe and it flies in the face of what the elitists believe. And, and because of that, they're canceled. Uh, so, before I get into it, I want to make note. It is impossible to find a video on Bing. I have done my best to stay away from Google just because of all the, the tracking and just there's so much stuff that, that, that Google is just this 
it's the epitome of Big Brother, except it's not Big Brother. It's like weird, creepy uncle that's there, and you you need him, but you don't want him around because he's just creepy, and he's in, he's always peeping through the windows and all that stuff. You know, that's what Google is to me, and Big Brother being more government, Google being it's just their own private company, and they're doing whatever the hell they want to do. Anyways. You hear all these people talking about, well, if you if you don't want to get banned from Twitter, well, go make your own Twitter. You know, if you don't want to get banned from YouTube owned by Google, uh, go make your own YouTube. Now, there are alternatives out there, but I think the the level to which Google has just dominated this field of free search search engine, it's impossible at this point to catch up to Google. The infrastructure needed, the, the technology that you'd have to invest millions and millions, probably billions of dollars into just to to get to the same level as Google, it's impossible. I mean, if Microsoft can't even do a, a, a halfway decent job of it, um, you know, the parlors of the world or the rumbles of the world are going to have an even bigger job ahead of them. But I digress. So uh, let's start with the, the video opening. It's very telling. And then uh, there's a few clips that I want to play. So here we go. Heads up. This video has explicit content. Here's Johnny. It would be crazy if Stephen King was convicted of murder for all the horrific stuff he's put up on the big screen. It sounds unreal, but it's actually... Wesley Snipes in there. Screenwriters are your favorite pop and country stars to hip-hop artists on the regular. So, on the intro, yes, they're saying that this is happening to people within hip-hop because of racism. And they say that because they make that claim saying that this isn't happening to your country music stars. This is happening to people within rap, hip hop. And so then they go into the past. They go into how, of course, all the underground rap that really the phrase underground rap is about the extent to which I can speak about it because I don't know any of the names. I don't know any of that stuff. I grew up on Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath and Metallica. So leave me alone. Um, but And so I don't, I don't even want to really address that because... They, they, I watched the video. They do a good job of, of documenting, citing sources, playing videos and audio. Like They make the case very well, and I agree with them. They make the case that while, yes, these lyrics say, I did this, I shot this person or whatever, that it is still not something that should or could be admissible in court as evidence against that, against that person because it is music is an expression of thought and feeling. It's, it's art. And so I, I agree, like I'm not this person that's out there saying, oh, rap lyrics are, are causing all these people to shoot everybody. And I'm, I'm the same way with video games, violent video games. I play first person shooters fairly regularly. Um, and, and I have never had the idea that I'm going to go out and shoot up a school or anything like it's ridiculous. I think that there could be somewhat of a correlation established, but nothing direct that you could say that is the cause. Therefore, it, to me, it's very pointless to look at it. it. It would be upon the individual consuming the music or the video game, and it would be upon the people creating the music in the video game to search their own conscience and say, am I contributing to violence? But that's not what, what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is this being admissible in court, number one. But then number two is, is this happening again? And I, I would say yes. And, and I think that this next clip is going to be very telling as far as that goes as well. So take a listen to this. So the crux of the state's argument rested on two things, Max lyrics and his persona. 
Here's a voice actor reading the prosecutor's opening statement. Murder, murder, kill, kill. Pull the trigger, put a bullet in your head. Those are some of the lyrics that this defendant chooses to rap when he performs. This is the self-proclaimed camouflaged assassin. Murder, murder, kill, kill. That's from the song of the same name. But the second half of the line that the prosecution quoted, that's from a completely different song by Mac called Shell Shock. And the lyrics quoted from Shell Shock? They're not even about Mac. It's about Mac's dad, McKinley Phipps Sr. Yeah, but peep this. The prosecution even changed the lyrics to make them sound more self-incriminating. See, Mac never actually raps the words, you fuck with me, you get a bullet in your brain. In fact, the prosecutor switches up the whole context. Take a listen. That's my. All right, you get the point. Um, this this dude's voice is just—it's amazing me. It's blowing my mind right now. Um, so they're making the claim, in essence, evidence tampering. That they're you're they're using a song, a piece of a song, a very short clip from one song, and then mashing that together with another short clip from another song and using that as as evidence where i've seen that before is i see it all the time one in mainstream media right and left used against politicians they pull short clips from here short clips from there play them together and it's and it seems to to make one complete thought where have we seen this most recently and on such a large scale was with donald trump and in that 16-minute video that the prosecution used um, within the Senate hearing to convict to impeach him the second time, which of course failed, hashtag acquitted. Um, so then, when you're when you're watching that video that they played, it is Donald Trump speaking, saying a word or a, a part of a sentence that includes the word fight or the words uh, steal or, or you know the su- super inflammatory words in their opinion. And then they cut it right before he says something about being peaceful or being patriotic or loving our law enforcement or loving our country. Things that are, oh, okay, you know, he obviously didn't mean, hey, go seize the freaking capital. And then so they would take just the part before the piece, the the fight part, and then right after that clip, they'd cut it. And then, okay, now here's video of the rioters breaking through glass or um, whatever they were doing, assaulting the Capitol Police. And so they used separate pieces of media, put them together to create the um, the perspective that Donald Trump was encouraging what was happening in those videos. And it's just not the case. So who is the fringe hip hop sector today? In a word, I think it's conservatism or you could call it anti-government, pro-freedom, pro leave us the hell alone. And, and that very much lines up with. I would say underground hip hop, underground anything, while the motives or the 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 fuel behind the movements, you know, back in the eighties compared to today, while the, the motives might be different, the ultimate goal really is personal freedom and freedom for a group of people that are seen by the collective as being fringe, minority, and somewhat um I mean, really uncontrollable. Therefore, it has to be censored. It has to be stifled. And that's where we're at. 
we're right there all over again. So the next clip I want to I want to play is they're talking about um, this study that was done where they put the lyrics to a rap song underneath a heading that says, you know, this is a rap song and then showed it to people. And then they also did the exact same thing, uh, putting the same rap lyrics underneath a heading called country song. And people, well, you'll see how people responded to that. In which she took uh, lyrics to, I think it was a folk song by a, by a Kingston Trio. The Kingston Trio. I'm sorry, I had that wrong. Kingston Trio, this was, you know, country or whatever, country song. So they put these country lyrics below a heading saying rap rap song and country song. My bad. Nerdy looking group of white guys in the 60s who had a hit with the song Bad Man's Blunder. From verse one, Carrie typed out the lyrics, including the line, I shot a deputy down. She made a ton of copies of the lyrics to conduct her study. And on one half, she wrote, this is a country song. On the other stack, this is a rap song. The group that believed that the lyrics came from a rap song found them to be significantly more threatening and in need of regulation than the exact same lyrics that were characterized as country. So now what are we to make of this? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of tough without knowing who the people were that were surveyed in that study. How were the... Um, any questions asked, you know, is this a rap song or, or what do you think? I, mean, I don't know how the questions were phrased, who was asked, how they answered, who they were, what, what's their background. There's, there's so much there that's unknown. But all that aside, let's assume that that survey was done with complete integrity. And it really does show that this, I'm sure, very diverse group of people, uh, that saw these lyrics underneath rap song and underneath country song, saw the rap song as more violent. We see much of the same thing today. We don't see it as much from the Jimmy Kimmels and the Fallons of the world, but they used to love doing the almost like like a uh, what is it the um, like Turning Point loves to do this Turning Point USA, which is a Charlie Kirk's thing, and they they are really big on college campuses talking about conservative thought, and they do a really good job of it. But one thing that they like to do that these people in comedy and late night broadcast TV used to be into is asking a question to people and phrasing it in a certain way that it's intending to trip them up. Now, what do I mean by that? We saw, especially when you're, when we're in a presidential race, um, you see, what do you think about, uh, Donald Trump's border policy of, you know, catch and release or whatever it is. And then the people say, oh, that's terrible. There's no way we should do that. It's so racist and bigoted. And then they say, oh, no, sorry, that's not Donald Trump's policy. That is Joe Biden's policy. Or what do you what do you think about the fact that Donald Trump deported more immigrants than any other president before him? That's terrible. Oh, no, wait, sorry. It was Barack Obama who deported more immigrants than his predecessors. So we see this consistently throughout society and, and in a way an inherent bias just in within you seems to be the norm people have these biases within them now having a bias or a slant in a particular direction based off of how you were brought up or the people that you surround yourself with is not racism like that i think we're so quick to assign the term 
racist to people that we don't stop to think, well, why is it that they think the way they do? Why is it that when they see, okay, this, these are rap lyrics, they have an image in their head, whatever that image is, whether it's a person or it's a music video or it's a gun or whatever it is, why do people see those things and then have the specific reaction that they do? That is what should be studied. It shouldn't be, oh, they have a different reaction, racist, study complete. It should be, well, what led them to that conclusion? And we do we're not getting that in society and we're not getting that in politics. And one very clear way to, to see, to see this, this lack of consistency as far as giving people benefit of the doubt or giving people the, the wiggle room to explain themselves. We see it a lot right now in politics. Let's consider violent rhetoric from Democrat politicians and how the media responds to those versus what happened on January 6th and how Democrats are trying to silence Republicans, even Republicans within Congress who supported Trump or spoke out uh, at the Stop the Steal rallies and things like that for voicing their political opinion by representing the political opinions of their constituents. Now they're being seen as violent because of what? Because of January 6th and because of what we talked about earlier where the media has been just completely radio silent on the violence over the summer 2020 and not just over summer 2020, but today Portland is still, there's still protests and rioting going on and they're completely silent about it. And they act as if nobody died over the summer. Nobody was raped. Nobody was, there's no domestic violence within these um, autonomous zones. There were no drive-by shootings in these autonomous zones. All, all, you know, Chad and those autonomous zones, all they showed us is that their efforts at self-policing failed. They failed to self-police. They said they could, but they could not. And they did not. Maybe they could have, but they didn't. They had plenty of guys walking around in black with look, looking like freaking ARs and AKs. But not a whole, a whole lot of self-policing going on. More manning their borders, manning their walls. And any press that came up to the walls, they were met with just straight out violent language saying hey you need to leave you're in a bad place things aren't going to things aren't going to work out very well for you here in just a second so more more hypocrisy there this next one they bring up how uh metal which is what i'm more into how violent metal uh was brought up in these discussions Now, hip-hop's definitely not the first genre to ignite a moral panic. There was a huge backlash to heavy metal back in the 80s and 90s. But rap? Rap is the only genre of music that's routinely used to prosecute artists in criminal cases. So uh, you can make that claim all day long. And again, I agree. I agree that these lyrics, this, these, this self-expression, this art, should not be used to incriminate people. So we agree on that. But there, there is plenty of violence in both genres. I'm, I'm sure all genres, like if, if this video is making any sort of <laughs> definitive claim, it could be that all genres have violent lyrics and that, sure, hip-hop, rap have been unequally persecuted in this regard. It's wrong. To me trying to take the frustrations of the past and inject them into present day, it doesn't work out. So where we go from here, 
as far as this is, this issue is concerned, I don't know. I feel like there's there's so much frustration with the past, and and what's weird to me is it's frustration with people who didn't live in the past. It's in, it's people who didn't go through a lot of the, these things. It's a lot of people that have witnessed it through the eyes of the ones who did go through it and are now picking up the mantle. But it it's like you know you hear people saying about. Um, generals and things you know pe- people who've been in the military who don't feel comfortable in times of peace so they look for that chaos obviously i don't believe that at least not in a general sense but it seems like that is happening to a, to a very small extent here where there are these frustrations of the past that we would move on from and improve the situation if we could just move on from what happened and move on from those feelings and move on from the pain and all that that Really, we are united. Really, we are in agreement about what should or should not be happening within our our justice system. But we can't actually make any headway on it because we're so busy fighting the fights of the past. And, And that's the point I'm trying to make because there really is a new persecution, I believe. There really is a new underground. There really is a new movement of freedom and not anti government, but putting reins on the government and checks and balances and putting that back into our system where we can have equal justice. We really can if we have a much more representative government, which in many cases means bringing down that government from a centralized federal level, stripping that D.C. of its power and redistributing that that power to the states and to the, uh, the more local courts. That's where I think change can happen because then it's the people making those decisions are much more accountable to a localized group of people that know where that courthouse is and knows who that person is, knows where what restaurants that person frequents. When you've got a Supreme Court dealing with these issues, when you've got a Congress, a federal Congress dealing with these issues, it, it, it's so detached from just the regular people that there's very little accountability. And yet again, I see this as an area where we can unite, where we can see our problems are not problems that we have with each other necessarily. It's problems we have in being heard, like I talked about earlier. Problems in um, and just feeling that, like, like, like there's somebody out there who gives a shit about the fact that I may not eat tonight or, you know, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a parent and I'm losing weight because I can only afford to feed my kids. I mean, I've seen that um, personally with people I know, and it, it's sad. It's terrible. And the government does a good job of creating problems and then promising to solve them without ever really living up to those expectations. And and I think that in, in a way, it's not their fault. It is their fault for making the promise to begin with, but then it's our fault as well for trusting them and for expecting them to live up to those expectations. And that that's a problem. That 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 is something that has to be fixed and something that we can unite behind because we all want to see change. Nobody thinks the world is good just the way it is. We all want to see things get a little bit better. That's 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 the American dream right there. That's the American um, mentality is, yeah, things are great here, but how can we make it better? But that doesn't happen on a large 
federal scale without dividing the country. Because you literally have a handful of people who agree with only half the country and then the other half is left to think, well, what the hell? What about what I think? And that, that is the concept of federalism, of not having all the power focused on the federal level of having it brought back down to the states and down to the, to the local municipalities and, and being heard on a more local level. Um, so to wrap it up, to close this one out, I want to extend that concept and take it over to the idea of vulnerability. Um, oh boy, Fox News alert, President Biden stumbles and falls boarding Air Force One. That's not going to be a good look. That'll be fun. Um, uh, but the idea of vulnerability, and this is something that I try to carry into my life, something that I try to carry into uh, my relationships and friendships, and that's being vulnerable to the to the to the point of feeling like you know what I could get hurt from this situation, and accepting that openness that 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 ability to to extend yourself past what you should be to stick your neck out for somebody and in 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 hopes of them seeing that as an olive branch and saying all right what's a disarm let's put the guns down and let's just sit down and talk and vulnerability really to me feels like the number one the best way to get to that point and it's dangerous because the other side may not feel like being vulnerable at that particular time but it's like at least you can sleep at night. At least you can look yourself in the mirror and say, my conscience is clear because I did what I could do. I said what I could say, and I said it in a way that left me completely exposed. And now that may not always produce a favorable outcome because, like I said, you're banking on the other side being equally vulnerable, and that may not be the case. Uh, but really, if, if you just imagine... Your, your, your best relationship, whether it's a present relationship or present marriage or a past one that didn't work out, think about just that feeling of being understood and heard by somebody who gives a crap. And imagine that we could extend that same interpersonal relationships with po policymakers. And I'm not saying that you're inviting them over for dinner or sucking their toes or anything, but I am saying that it, there's that level of understanding each other and benefit of the doubt that comes from that. When you see somebody and you can envision yourself walking in their shoes, living their life, and you think, wow, I might respond the same way. Without vulnerability, without exposing yourself and putting your heart out there, there there's little headway that we can make. Um... In, in, in any sort of goal of achieving unity or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Peace, really. Peace requires vulnerability and we're not seeing a lot of vulnerability. We're seeing a lot of walls being put up around each other, around ourselves. And the COVID virus has definitely fostered that as well with masks and uh, we're just desperate for, for uh, personal contact uh, and, and with being able to just sit down at a bar and talk to somebody. I had an experience like that the other day and it was the first time I'd had it in a while. It was great. And just seeing normal people out living their lives in their natural habitats and, and socializing with them and engaging with them, you realize we really are all just 
a bunch of humans trying to live our lives and, and live the best life we can and, and leave a positive mark on on those around us and hopefully on our country as a whole and on on the world in general. Um, so with, with that in mind, find ways to be vulnerable. Don't be like me. Don't open up the door and then immediately make contact with your neighbor and then flee in fear. Um, <laughs> so I, I've got to work on it too. But uh, anyways, while you're being kind to, to one another, uh, find those avenues to reach out and, and extend an olive branch to each other in, in whatever form it needs to take. And uh, But at the same time, when it's time to be Candace Owens, be Candace Owens and don't take crap from people. Don't allow people to, to run you over just because you're one of these peace-loving, patriotic Americans. At the same time, we have rights and we have the 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 desire to be heard just like everybody else and we deserve that um the desire to be heard is not a responsibility on the other side to listen but when the other side takes that extra step to not only refuse to listen to us but to actively attempt to silence you or silence us or silence the movement that's when it's time to to punch back figuratively of course so take that, do with it what you will. I hope you have a great weekend. Uh, don't forget, check out Black Rifle Coffee at Black Rifle Coffee on Instagram. Check out at Cross and Musket on Instagram. Follow and like us there. And uh, if you do check out, use a, a t-shirt. I'm sorry, if you do buy a t-shirt at checkout, use discount code Insta for 20% off. And of course, like, follow, share our posts uh, over at, at point B underscore cast. And uh, my throat is done. My voice is about to go away. So I'm going to let you go. Sorry this one went a little bit long. But uh, I hope you got some good information out of it. We'll see you next week. And uh, keep keep uh, checking out our, our updates and our new posts at Instagram. Uh, at point B underscore cast. And share and like those. And last thing before I let you go. Whatever platform you're using. Whether it's iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts. Spotify. Google Podcasts. Uh, iHeartRadio. Whatever it is. Leave us a review. It doesn't have to be five stars. We want you to be honest. But if there's something you want us to do differently or you'd like to see done better or different topics discussed or having somebody else on the show, give us that feedback. Send us those uh, comments in the uh, new episode post. DM us on Instagram at point B underscore cast or send us an email info at crossandmusket.com. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend.